Hey, Keith here. Um, <laughs> so once again, there are kind of dog sound complications with this. For about the first eight or nine minutes of the episode, uh, my dog Augie was chewing on a bone on a wood floor next to us, and it's just kind of noisy in the background, and I am super sorry about it. Um, we did eventually stop and get him a quieter bone, so I promise if you soldier on through here you can hear him now he uh, he loves to contribute if you soldier through the bone chomping noise up front you will be rewarded with uh with quiet uh right on wow thanks <laughs> uh, good evening the worm your honor <laughs> Hey, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, whoa, that's loud. Okay, welcome to uh, welcome to We've Been Had, a show where we we talk about albums for your listening pleasure. I am Keith Pilly, and I'm Chad Pilly. And uh, in the background is Augustus the dog with a bone. Um, it's going to be like that for a while. Sorry. Yeah, just think of it as uh, background texture. Yeah. Uh, deal with the show as always. We take turns picking an album, and then we both dig into it and uh, come back and talk. Um, this time around, it was my pick, and I went a little masochistic, I think. Um, but I think it'll give us a good show. Uh, yeah, picked at a scab and went with Pink Floyd's The Wall. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a record. Uh, some Tombstone info on it, released November 1979. Uh, I think this is fascinating. It was released exactly two weeks before London Calling, which uh, that is incredible. Yeah, like Jesus. Um, it was on Harvest EMI in the UK, Columbia CBS in the US. Uh, recorded. Um, you know, I, I just I have to keep it in the parallels. Uh, London Calling was recorded in pretty much August and September of '79, and you know, released in December. Fucking The Wall, they started recording this fucking thing in December of 78. And we're recording it through most of 79 in studios on in four different countries. I mean, I, I think if you're going to make The Wall, though, you're not. it's not like a one-take type operation. This is like the exact, you know, diametric opposite of jamming Econo. It is, yes, it is the polar opposite of jamming Econo, for sure. <laughs> Um, produced by Bob Ezrin, David Gilmore, James Guthrie, and Roger Waters. I assume the the order, you know, I, I assume there's some hierarchy there. I don't know. I don't, I've, I don't know. I feel like Roger Waters is enough of a diva, though, that he... he I don't know. I feel like he, was, he, he may be last on that list. <laughs> uh, yeah, he clearly... I don't know. It's clearly his show. Um, yeah, I don't. I, so I've been. I, I've done all the talking. Would you care to do a capsule description of this record in case somehow someone hasn't heard it? Yeah. So it's one of those things that that is interesting because, like, pre Wikipedia, I had no idea it was a concept album, <laughs> um, and I thought it was about the Berlin Wall, which I think is still some of the subtext. I intended or not? Yeah. Well. I mean, but officially, 
and I know this from the Wikipedia bio, it's about a character named Pink. His battle with stardom, mental health, and success. All relatable things. Yeah, I I mean, I feel like this is sort of, this is responsible for Dennis DeYoung's <laughs> vision of Kilroy. Yeah? Like, he's like, fucking Roger Waters can make a can make a rock opera, so can I. So that's a thing that I I was trying to figure out. Like, do you think they consciously told themselves, you know, like, did they, did they believe they were writing a rock opera when they did this? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like they, I feel like they had a very, I mean, it's so polished and clean that yeah. like they clearly knew what they were going for. Yeah. I don't know if they would call it a rock opera. They might call it like a, a conceptual project. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, the, like Pink Floyd is interesting to me because you know they're sort of known for these legendary like legendary sets and you know all these interesting things and it's been. I'm not sure I've ever listened to The Wall all the way through before. Really? I, maybe. Man. I uh, I mean, I, I would kind of forward through a lot of it. <laughs> I So this is the thing I was thinking about today. And I guess I actually I wanted to put this up front anyway. So I'll, um, I'm going to say a lot of negative things about this record. <laughs> uh, but I, I know that... You know, I know that we have friends and there are friends of the show that really like it. And, like, if this is your jam, I don't want to talk you out of it. I, I understand why you like it, I think. Um, there, was, there was a time that I, that I did. But, like, um, you know, and, like, I, like, go with God if you enjoy it. Like, I, that, 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 it's legitimately cool. But, man, I don't know. But that said, like... Is it because it can't sync up with The Wizard of Oz, like Dark Side of the Moon? Is that why you don't like it? <laughs> that, that is my entire beef with it. No, but, but, I mean, so the thing about that is that, like, there was a stretch, I don't know, like, freshman year of high school until, uh, you know, first couple of years of high school where, like, I was just nuts for this. And, like, you know, like, this is... Probably still lifetime in the top ten number, like like records I've listened to the most. Um, like pre Zeppelin phase or after? Kind of Ze- concurrent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The peers. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, and I think like you know, one, one of those endures a little better than the other. Yeah, it depends uh, what you're looking for. Yeah, it's just it's funny to me that like I you know so super fucking loved this in high school. And like went to college and you know just like there, you know, there's this whole mountain of shit that I was like I am I am past this now and like with most of my adult life I've been kind of like reassessing that and being like oh no no you know REM actually is pretty good oh Led Zeppelin is pretty good um, this is before or after you saw Jewel in concert <laughs> that the, the Jewel that that was part of. That was at the same time uh, that I was uh, apostatizing on everything. So you're like, God damn it, Pink Floyd sucks. I'm going to a Jewel concert. <laughs> that, yes, that is functionally a, a, a sequence of thoughts that were in my head. Good um, for you for branching out of your comfort zone. <laughs> that's right. You know, and I, so the other thing, like, I guess I also want to preface anything else that we say, like, 
I'm not coming from this from a, a place of I hate Pink Floyd because like I really like Dark Side still and Wish You Were Here is still like you know I think that's a really cool interesting record but you know hot streaks end I don't know where are you at with Floyd and like now and in the past well I mean in the past it was sort of because I grew up on like classic rock radio Pink Floyd is a sort of is a titan in the classic rock yeah. radio world plus I mean you know when we were kids there I don't know we would go to see like for whatever reason the laser shows at the planetarium were always laser Floyd yeah uh, or I mean maybe I think there was laser Zeppelin too but it was always one of those two yeah which would be like they would just shoot they would just they'd be like geometric shapes and they'd yeah. play Pink Floyd songs I mean it wasn't like you know okay I'm sorry I'm gonna pause and give Og a bone that's not hard is this is okay we're back on hopefully less dog noise in the background oh but uh yeah i don't know it, it seems i've just i've gotten the impression you know just talking through the years that you are more up to speed on like sid barrett era floyd than i am Maybe marginally, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not hard to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I like the I like that Piper at the Gates of Dawn album. Yeah. Uh, just because I think it's weird. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's pretty weird. Um, I also like the Sid Barrett solo song Octopus. That's kind of a yeah. cool song. That's like I that was not on my radar at all until you pointed it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's it's a little less conceptualized. Yeah. You know, it, and you know, obviously after Sid Barrett left the band, I think, you know, Roger Roger Waters kind of took control. Clearly, so that's what's interesting to me is that like through the seventies, you know, like Dark Side of the Moon feels like a different band from this almost because it's not, you know, like. like He's in there, and like you can recognize his voice, and you know, in his songwriting, but it's not like, like, like this is just so like the creative vision of Roger Waters, you know, and some, you know, servants helping him out, <laughs> and like that vibe is not there on their records before this. Yeah, and it, it's this one's a little strange because it, it, it just mixes in a lot of different elements. You know, like, yeah. you know, so like some of the stuff sounds kind of sing songy. Some of it's, you know, like, you know, the, and I'll cover this later, but like, you know, some of it's cool with the, with the children and the choir and yeah. some of it's just kind of annoying. Um, yeah. I mean, there are parts of it to me that sound like, like yacht rock. Yes. There's a, there's fucking Captain and Tennille or yes, right. <laughs> And then there's parts of it that sound like I, I don't know. It's just a, it's part of it sound like a Randy Newman song. Yeah. Um, and and you know all of this is it, it is interesting because it's like it, it's so well produced that the the when you do get the guitar parts, it really they really knock them out of the park. Yeah. They're just yeah. a little few and far between. For my well, taste. that's yeah. That I like like. That is a thing that I think we'll go back to a bunch. Like this, is, David Gilmore is just 
fucking kicking ass and taking names like all the way through this. And he plays this like, I mean, he's really made for for this type of music because he plays this like really grandiose style, but he plays it like totally clean. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it, it, I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Like it, it's really good. Um, one of my notes was the the song "The Thin Ice." You yeah, know, this kind of sounds like a space ballad. Yeah, yeah I can see that. It's can also it. I also listed it as the thinking man's version of Metallica's "Trapped Under Ice." <laughs> Metallica would have uh, have a lot of yeah, they would take issue with that. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about Roger Waters and just you know like since it's his thing and like you know like the the whole fucking album is like a walk through his head and like i mean i yeah i mean i have some complicated thoughts about roger waters uh but i i did i did hear that a couple people who went to his concert at excel energy center where he just played pink floyd songs and they said it was amazing well i mean I, i i believe it you know the man he clearly knows how to execute a musical vision. He knows what like, he wants. Yeah, that's. I think that's what. Like Rick Rubin said, he knows almost nothing about music, but he knows what he likes. <laughs> Can't argue. I just waters. Like like if you had asked me three weeks ago what I thought of Roger Waters, or you know, six weeks ago, I guess before I suggested this record, I I would have been like, yeah, you know he. Yeah, I don't love every choice he makes, but he seems like an all right guy. And like right now, I honestly, I I hate this man <laughs> because of the song, or just because of the douchery he's been up to lately. Both, like, like and it, it's you know, it feels kind of providential that he's being like a public asshole right now, like just as we're doing this. But like, like this, this, yeah, you know, and also I guess from stuff that I learned, like reading about the making of this album, like he just he sounds like he was a total cock to like. You know, just everyone in the band, and and to Bob Ezrin, and I, just fuck this guy. <laughs> like, I mean, when you make an album that has like Steely Dan level like production, like I, I just I don't think you make that without being a just a complete and total control freak. What, sure, but this honestly, I I honestly thought this makes me appreciate Steely Dan in a way that I never have before. We're like. If you're gonna do some kind of like hyper-produced, hyper-technical record, maybe it's better to do it and just be like coked up but somehow chilling instead of like, you know, making an hour and a half of music about how it's not your fault that you're an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And that is absolutely what this record is. I guess I had never thought of it in quite those terms, Uh, but but yeah, I mean that's it, it's you know I would if you want to be nicer I would say you know you're a product of your environment and upbringing. Sure, and so I mean this is you know yeah I mean this is a thing that I wanted to build to, but there, there's this weird thing where like what we always ask of artists is to take what's inside of you, you know, take your problems and and use art to work through it and you know turn that into art and like. That's what he's doing here, and like you know, like I can't fault him for that. That's you know, he's 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 fulfilling the brief, but he's just 
doing it such a weird fucking way. I mean, I think part of, I mean, in 1979, there was no Reddit, am I the asshole <laughs> thread. So he couldn't like, he couldn't like check himself in real time. Yeah. You know, like, you know, now it's, you know, now he and Scott Adams could jump on a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. Which would just end up being like this, like back and forth, like, oh yeah, man, we're so oppressed. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird stuff. Um, and, you know, we'll be, I think we'll be hitting this theme a lot. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I guess the, the question I, I have for you is, like, I know that we have this concept album and we have this, you know, therapy session for Roger Waters, but, I mean, do you think that, that some of the, at least the way they marketed it, the wall is sort of talking about the Berlin Wall? I don't think so. I, I don't think... I think, like... Maybe I'm just projecting that on it. I, I, you're not alone. You know, I mean, fucking Waters did this big production of The Wall at the Wall when The Wall came down. Um, but I, I don't think... I, I don't think there's explicitly anything there. I mean, like, it... He has plenty of chances. You know, he's got... I don't even know what the running time is, 90 minutes or, or so. Um, you know, there's never any talk. They repeat Oh Baby about a thousand fucking times in this album. The word Berlin never comes up. There are a lot of oohs and ahs more yeah. than I remember as a, as a kid. Yeah, they never never say, you know, nothing about a city divided. Nothing. Yeah, that's yeah, true. It's, I don't know. I mean, I think I it mean, would be a better concept if that was the... Yeah, it's right there. Just like... You, you've already you've already laid all the groundwork. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it is there, and I'm just being. But even even when I was like, even when this was my favorite record, you know, I, even when I was 15, I remember like being so puzzled that like it had to be about the Berlin Wall, but I couldn't find any connection to it, and you know, I, I guess. You know, that was with a 15-year-old's faculties. No, I mean, I, Maybe. I I want everything to tie back to the Cold War, so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is just me. But, I mean, one of the things that, like, it's just the way this album is laid out just makes no sense to me, because sometimes, like, there'll be songs that are, like, intros to other songs. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't understand the thought process there. Yeah, and there's, well, I, I, I think they thought they were... I was talking earlier about, like, did they think they were writing an opera? And I don't know about that, but I think they did think about it as, like, we're writing a symphony, you know, because there are, like, motifs that pop back up and, you know, song divisions that really only seem like arbitrary CD skip things. But, you know, I think they were looking at it as, like, this is a unified... Because I, I thought, honestly, I thought the song, this, what's labeled as the happiest day of our lives was just the intro to another Brick in the Wall Part 2. I, I mean, it functionally is. I mean, you never hear them separate, Yeah. right? At least yeah. I never did. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, that's kind of cool. Like, like, that's... It's it's interesting that they... That's an interesting way to treat a rock record, and, like, it's cool that they did it. Um, I, I kind of admire that. It, it does make, you know... Things like this discussion are going to be kind of weird because there are like lots of bits of this album that I don't actually, you know, like like I know most of this record is in my head, but 
a lot of it I don't know what song it technically you know this line yeah. technically falls in because I just kind of you know I'm used to listening to it on tape over and over how creeped out were you by the by the how can you have your pudding if you haven't had your meat I fucking hate that oh that I, fu- I just I find it deeply disturbing I just find it annoying I I, <laughs> I, I think I was disturbed by it when I was younger and now like just all of my overexposure to this record like rest on those lines and I've had I've been in one or two situations where you know people will be trying to establish some kind of music cred or something and will be like you can't teach a meat if you don't and I'm just like oh fuck you yeah so it's a new new rule um, you don't get any music cred from something you can hear on KQ <laughs> yeah <laughs> I do think, though, the the chorus of children chanting "We don't need no education" is just like it, it, that is like an amazing thing. That was a that was a great choice. Yeah, like that that is just that is just a like that's a world beater. But do you know like the the tale of those children? <laughs> I don't. So they like they they you know they were recording the song and they're like this is you know we need something in the back half. What are we gonna do? And they're like, well, let, let's find some kids from a school and have them sing and so they you know they do and they didn't pay the kids of course not and uh, i think the kids got a copy of the record and like eventually like they got taken the band got taken to court for like not paying the kids and like after the fact they had to cough up and like that's just that's i don't know it feels emblematic to me that like of course you fuck over these school kids Especially because, like, it's not like the wall didn't sell it, didn't move any units. Right, right. right. Uh, but so this this brings me to a sort of a a fork in the road where I got to talk about John Moe, who I have okay. some complicated thoughts about. And so, for people that don't know, John Moe is I think he's local. He does. Uh, I think so. He's tied in with uh, National Public Radio and Minnesota Public Radio, and yeah. he does uh, he does some sh- shows like Wits. And, uh, like he's on, is he on Wait Wait? Don't tell me. I don't know. He's on a number of them, mm. but he does this thing that that's called Pop Song Correspondence, where he mm. takes a he takes a piece of a song and sort of weaves a tale about it. In this case, it's a school assembly set in the school in this song. And it's really funny. Like it's pretty funny. It's good. It's really clever. Um, and I think honestly, he's a he's a really clever, funny guy. And I don't know if it's because we're like trying to mine the same comedic territory, and he like <laughs> does it professionally, and I I don't. But like, he just seems like the smuggest person on the planet. I I get that from him too. Like I actually I. He, on paper, I should love him, and I usually can't stand his work because of the smugness. Um, but that, that that clip of the school assembly was pretty funny. It was good. It was good. It was really, it was really well done. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just uh, like I I don't know why why he bugs me, but he kind of does. He, he uh, you're not alone in getting smugness from that. Um. I guess let's take a break. I think the dog needs to go out. Sounds good. Okay, back after another dog break. Dogs. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Do you wanna do you wanna just jump in and yeah, I mean, go through this regionally. I mean, I would say so. We kind of just finished side one of disc one. Uh, pretty much. I mean, I, I I got a couple. I got a couple other on 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 in the flesh, the thin ice. Oh, let's yeah, let's do it. I so I I just I want to like acknowledge like this record. This record really starts out well. Like it really just fucking says like I am here to rock you. And like that Gilmore guitar part is yeah. You I know mean, I've. I've talked about like things where like I felt like my brain was melting the first time I heard it, and this is one of them. I just first time I heard that I was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" It's a good mood setter. Yeah. In the flesh. Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. Um, have I told you my story about my friend Reggie and Bob Geldof? No. Okay. So um, Reggie is my friend who also gave. Um, did he give a watermelon shot to Gallagher? Yes, he did. Um, he also claims that he was at some folk festival and Bob Geldof was playing, and uh, Reggie was just shit faced. And, uh, and and so in the film version of The Wall, Bob Geldof plays Pink. So Reggie like totally shit faced gets up in Geldof's face and starts making the crossed hammers like arm sign at him and yelling like in the flesh in the flesh and Geldof is just like no 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 that's uh, that's not my song that's not that's just a character I was playing no in the flesh in the flesh <laughs> and he says he finally successfully bullied Bob Geldof <laughs> into playing the song um <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> um oh. But yeah, I don't know. I, I I guess looking through this, most of my notes are just like raving about the production because really, like this fucking thing is produced so well. Like the Thin Ice, you called it uh, what a space ballad? Was space it? ballad, yes. Uh, I I also called it a, a thinking man's version of Metallica's Trapped Under Ice. But yeah, the uh, just the way the drums like kick in and that and like it, I don't know. It's it builds tension so well. Um. You know, there's this one of the big themes of the record is anger about uh, Waters losing his father, and so you know that shows up here. Um, and I, I guess I just wanted to mark that. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have positive experience with his mother either. No, and that's like so. Yeah, with the song "Mother," like, would you say that's your second favorite? Song Mother, um, behind Danzig's Danzig. Mother, which do you like better? I think I'd go Danzig, honestly. Uh, yeah, I think so. My my note for this one is just it's earnest and heartfelt, but it's also pretty stupid. <laughs> I, I just like the part where it's like, Mother, do you think they'll try to break? Pause my balls. <laughs> He's got a little black book with his poems in it. I, I, so I mean, like, here's one of the root things about this that bothers me. Uh, I said this already. Like, this album is just over and over. Roger Waters spelling out how he's miserable, but it's not his fault. And sure, it's a character Pink, but it's a it's a character Pink whose father happened to die in Anzio. You know, like, 
It's it's a character who shares every particular <laughs> with Roger Waters. Um, you know, he's miserable, but it's not his fault. It's not his fault he's an asshole. And I guess what bothers me is like this record is so perfectly made, and there's so much skill on display here, and it's like that's just that's the worst use of that. It's like it's like if you brought Michelangelo back from the dead and had him like make a chainsaw sculpture of Garfield. <laughs> it's just like, why did you do this? What was the point? Uh, oh. Fantastic. That said, Goodbye Blue Sky, I, I, I like that song. I mean, like, it's not great. Like, I'd never, like, put it on a playlist, but, like, it's kind of, it's a cool prog rock exploration of a scary me- memory, uh, I guess. I like that. It's got kind of a Yacht Rocky vibe, personally, but... Maybe, yeah. I, I feel like the yachts really, like, pull up to the dock <laughs> the, the last quarter of the album. My, uh, my notes here is if you're going to use this... If you're going to use one side of a record as a coaster, <laughs> this would be the one I would use. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I don't have mine demarked out by, uh, by sides, so I'm not sure if this fits, you know... It goes goodbye blue sky to goodbye cruel world. Uh, what about Empty Spaces, Young Lust, One of My Turns, and Don't Leave Me Now? Well, so young, A.K.A. The, the Misogyny Suite. Yes. So Young Lust is another KQRS 92.5 special, uh, which I always found odd because the chorus is, I need a dirty woman. Yeah. And I honestly think it's only popular because of that end part where they're like, this is a collect call from... Mr. Floyd to Mrs. Floyd. Which, by the way, is fucking Roger Waters' prank calling Richard Wright. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't even know that. Yeah, like they just... It, it's like they captured him being a dick on tape. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the only part that's like... I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I Yeah, I, that's... I, I am... Even as a fucking... Too young to drive, teen. I was embarrassed for them for that song. Like that's that's such a terrible song. Will some woman ever? What is it? Take him in hand, make him feel like a real man. Yeah. Take this rock and roll refugee. Jesus Christ. It's like a it's like a incel anthem. It oh fuck. And and it's even worse. It's even worse the way it's positioned in the album. This whole stretch of songs, Empty Spaces, Young Lust, One of My Turns, and Don't Leave Me Now, is all like Pink is on the road and is screwing around because he feels lonely on the road. And it, you know, the sex doesn't fulfill him, but then he finds out his wife is cheating and oh, he blows up and, you know, scares a woman because that's what intense dudes do and then oh why are you leaving and it's it, just the fucking stupid misogynistic self pity there i think you're leaving out the do you want to take a bath <laughs> yeah like uh, that song sucks yes like that is not this is why i feel like we could just <laughs> one to the middle and the suitcase on the left you'll find my favorite axe <laughs> i just was in his late 30s when he was writing this stuff i guess that's that's my primary beef is the is the like 
you know the the lyrics are a little too theatrical like yeah it's it, it's like a script and yeah it's like i don't know it's like william shatner acting you're like overdoing it to yeah. a point that it's which i don't know i i'm a, i'm actually I'm, I'm going more negative on this than than i meant to so to balance all this out I, i'm Rewind slightly, and I do want to acknowledge, since I didn't as we were there, that I think that the build on the first, I think, through Goodbye Blue Sky, I could be convinced, you know, that far, you could play that for me, and I'd be like, well, this is, you know, this is, something interesting is happening here, and like, there's this really interesting building of tension and release of tension, and, you know, like, the story is muddled but that's fine because they always are um empty space is is where i feel like this record just <laughs> fucking skids off the, the road and like tumbles down the, and oh there's more fucking ooh babies there are a lot of ooh babies oh. i do feel like though i mean once you get to like hey you like i've always and I think that's the next one after Goodbye Cruel World. Yeah, which there's nothing to say about Goodbye Cruel World. <laughs> it's, I mean, so it's like, so that is actually Hey You is the first track on uh, the third, the third record. Yeah. And I feel like that, like this is, this side is like two classic rock staples, you know, kind of buttressing this sort of sad middle of, you know, yeah. like, you know, kind of sad ballads. Yeah. I mean, Hey You is, like, it's... I've always liked the way the drums come in. Yeah, no, I agree. It's awesome. All the fucking arrangements and... And then you get that guitar wave. Yeah. Like, it's just a really well-put-together thing. Yeah. We have this weird runner on this show of occasionally talking about fretless basses. I've got it flagged that Hey You, for a while, he's, like, fucking around on a fretless bass. Um, I mean, you got to go fretless. Yeah, <laughs> frets are the tool of the oppressor. Um, it's like when people say, uh, and so just I know nothing about playing the bass, but look, was that a five string or a six string? I always say six because I feel like the higher number is better, or four or five, <laughs> yeah. right? Four or five. I'm like five. There's a five string. I have no idea what the difference is. I think I think you only use a five string bass in like death metal or jazz or uh, four is all you need. You use use a five string to say, "I'm a jagger." <laughs> That's not fair, but um, yeah, no, I feel like okay. A couple other things on "Hey You." Um, so you know, after the drum kicks in, there is like you know, we've talked about they have recurring themes, and they've got you know, one of them is the another brick in the wall, da 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 da, like great payoff you know they've set that up and it comes back and oh my god it's got menace and you know it's great great orchestration but like the narrative on this if you were trying to like follow a coherent story at this point like i don't know if there's meaning you're projecting the meaning on yeah i mean again i think without without somebody spelling out the vision i don't think you're ever going to get that this is a one story yeah i well and a thing that's fascinating to me is that this song is the only time on the record 
that the words of a song break into a third-person narrator telling you what's up. You know, like there's there's the whole "Hey you," blah 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 blah, blah. Um, and then it changes and it's like, "But it was only a fantasy. The wall was too high, as you can see." And like you know, like it, it's interesting to me that like they were conscious enough of like, "Well, we've lost the story." <laughs> We gotta just fucking you know break character and say what's we've happening. lost the locker room. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that. Then is there anybody out there? Yeah. What the not. fuck? Like what? Hello, hello, hello. Or is that the? I mean, that could be comfortably numb that you're doing. That. That's true. That's uh, true. Um, yeah, I hate. I did not expect to be saying I hate so much, but just the stretch of, is there anybody out there, nobody home, and Vera? Well, Vera, I mean, my notes just said, but why, though? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I, like, I know the context, I know what they're trying to evoke, but fuck it. Um, <sighs> nobody home is the one that sounds like a Randy Newman song to me. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I feel like I say that a lot. Maybe a lot of things sound like a Randy Newman yeah, song. You're, you're Randy Newman pilled. Nobody home. I it. My my beefs. Uh, let me list my beefs with nobody home. Um, I hate the start. Like this whole record, they just they go way they go in way too far on the um, the voices. You know. Like, we don't need someone yelling, Got a little black book with me poems in it! Like, fuck you. So I, I think that's where the, like... It, this is what I was talking about earlier with, like, the children's chorus is really cool. The, you know, like, the prank phone call is kind of funny. Yeah. But as we as you keep doing more and more of that, like, gimmicky shit, it just yeah. wears on me. Well, and, and, I mean, they, you know, it's all in their... It's all in there to a purpose, you know. It's all supposed to be carrying this narrative, like the the prank, the the, the phone call at Young Lust. Like, it was a prank, but it, it, on the record, it's supposed to indicate, you know, Pink realizing that oh my God, his wife is cheating on him as he's cheating on her. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> what a revelation! Yeah, um, but yeah, like it just it. There's a reason that most rock records don't. <laughs> full of little fucking voice snippets. Um, you know, this, it just, it, it it wallows in self-pity. There's more ooh babes. My, my bottom note for Nobody Home is I understand why the punks hated them. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I, I think, though, it, it's maybe, maybe we're judging them too harshly because, like, you know, when, you, when we know you're capable of something like Dark Side of the Moon... Yeah, you know it. It feels like, it, and this is just something different. Like it's, yeah. I mean, also, and that's that. I mean, that's the thing that fucks with me. Like I said, like they're they're doing what you want artists to do, but you know, like they're being ambitious. They're mining their own psyche, but they're just being so fucking annoying about it. That I don't know. You know, like. The, these are the same guys who made Wish You Were Here, and that's that's a great record. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's maybe it's a time thing, too, because I, 
like, uh, did you ever read that Norman Mailer book, Armies of the Night? I haven't read that one. So, like, I remember reading it when I was, like, 19 and thinking it was, like, fantastic. And then I read it again when I was maybe 30, and I, was, I could not believe what a pompous asshole Norman Mailer was. Yeah. And, like, I wonder if that's just perspective. I, I, I think there's probably something to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's that's part of me in this record. Is like, you know, when I was young, like, I, I was not in a position to recognize self-pity or, you, you know, fuck, you're, you're 15 and, like, of course you feel alienated from everything. And so a record that's all about how you're alienated and no one understands you, like, you know, like, yeah, it's like you're, someone's talking on your wavelength. But I think it's kind of an indictment if, a man in his late thirties writes a record that's so resonant to, to teens, you know. Like, I think. I mean, I, I also think that you know one of the things we we have to think about is you know like there's a little bit of Grateful Dead in here too, where like I feel like you know like kids that were into smoking weed were also <laughs> into Pink Floyd. Yeah, I think I think so. Although. My counter-argument for that would be um, our friend Grant, um, you know, became one of the champion weed smokers of the North American continent for a while. Um, he was all, this. This was always a big bone of contention between the two of us that like I was super into the wall and he just you know was like fuck Pink Floyd. I think some of that though is just like your your dynamic maybe. Probably know. yeah. Probably just had to oppose. Um, bring the boys back home. Let's bring them back home. Fuck this. What the... Like, I know I've already said that the record has gone off the rails once, but... It, like... This is the point where, like, an, another weird turn is made. Yeah, I mean, it's, you just... It's one of those things where it, it's... Uh, it, it's like, you know, when you hear somebody read somebody review an author's work and they say they really could have used an, a better editor yes and i feel like somebody should have just redlined this song that and like nope that absolutely that's absolutely it like, like fucking bob ezrin should live in shame that he is the lead <laughs> producer of this record and he let this on I, my notes for this are just fuck you and then more sound collage bullshit. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not. I've, I've lost the, I've lost the thread with this one. Yeah. Um. Want to take yeah, a quick good. beer break before yep. we go into the home stretch? Yeah. Okay, we're back with fresh beers and. I, you know, I was saying off mic, like, I feel bad for just venting spleen here, and that's not what I meant to do. I meant, you know, I wanted to give some kind of critical appraisal, um, and I'm just, <laughs> this record just made me mad. <laughs> I spent yesterday in such a bad mood. Um, it's interesting that the song that we're, we're going on is comfortably numb. Well, as you, as you <laughs> so, so that's it. Like, that's, I, part of the reason I wanted to break for fresh beers there is, like, there are th this, you know, 
There's like this split on the record here now where like there are a lot of songs, or not a lot, there are some songs that I legitimately really like mixed in with stuff that I don't. And Comfortably Numb is one. Like I think this is this is a great song. Um, my understanding is that it's a Gilmore song from another project that then like got brought in and kind of backfitted into the wall. Um, yeah, that's that kind of... You know, shoots the shoots the concept in the foot. But. Yeah, well, it's uh, one of my beefs with. Uh, I couldn't figure out how to articulate this, so I'll articulate it now. It really feels to me like, you know, Roger Waters, and and I guess Gilmore wrote a bunch of songs, you know, and like had some idea for a concept together, but like, just you know, it was loot like like. Some of them were very tightly along the main line, and so, you know, like, all the another brick in the walls, like, clearly, like, were furthering the narrative. Some of them feel like they were just kind of songs that were written that, like, they were like, well, hey, this kind of fits. Um, you know, and then some of them feel like they had nothing to do with anything. And, you know, like, like you can just, you can, you can tell that it's kind of this collage of songs that were clicked onto a narrative sometimes more gracefully than others and you know this one i mean like yeah i you know i i know how it's supposed to fit into the narrative but it just it feels like its own thing and and it feels like a much better thing i'm just not a fan of concept albums i think i don't know yeah when they're good they're good in spite of being concept i just i've never been like wow man that having a cohesive concept really made that for me never but comfortably numb, um, I do. I've always really liked the guitars mm-hmm. in this in this one, and I, th- I feel yeah. like I feel like one thing that you know, and I think we've said this a couple times, is you know, David Gilmore's style is just so. It's I don't even know how to describe it because it's yeah. like it's it's really clean, but it's like really bombastic. Yeah. While being, but not like you know, like nitro or something. Yeah. Right. It was like this, like kind of. Beethoven-esque quality where it's like swinging a dick around but very tasty. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's uh, yeah, this is like a, it's got like a Baroque style. Yeah, and so I, you know, I, I think like yeah, the the guitar part on this version is really great. But there's actually so like in the late '80s and in, in you know in the depths of yeah, my my my, my peak. Pink Floyd super fandom. There in was the like deepest depths of Mordor. <laughs> yeah. So um, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Riff for you. Gollum and the Evil One. Um, Pink Floyd released like the rump Roger Waterless version of Pink Floyd released like kind of a terrible live album in '88 called The Delicate Sound of Thunder. Um, I remember. I remember really liking the title of that album. Yeah. I I I had it on CD and just like wore it out, but. The version of Comfortably Numb on that actually fucking toasts this one um, because, you know, this is like the rare case where more time for guitar noodling pays off. And, like, Gilmore just fucking goes to the astral plane. Um, And also, he sings it all. And so you don't have... Like, it always drives me nuts on this version that Waters sings his parts in a fucking goofy voice. (laughs) And like, like it does not need it. And if we're, t- <laughs> if if I'm complaining about the evolution of my dislike for Roger Waters, this is another thing that like, 
On Dark Side of the Moon, he's never using a goofy voice. Wish You Were Here, he's never using a goofy voice. For some reason, you know... It's part of the concept. 1979, he's like... You're not getting on board with the concept. (laughs) I need to... I need to see how fucking goofy my Maybe voice he's can trying be. to break into like old school radio and show you that he can do these voices oh. and like has the horn. Well, you know, I mean, we'll get there in a couple songs. Yeah, that's true. So this is a fun fact. When I was in high school, um, they had these uh, they had like dances and they would always they would always come up with a theme. Yeah. And one year the theme was comfortably numb. And I'm like, somebody didn't think this. Like, I mean, I didn't realize it then, but now I'm like, like what adult greenlit that? <laughs> Maybe it was a very cool adult who knew exactly what was up. And it was just like, yeah, kids, yeah. I'm like, like that doesn't seem appropriate for it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. It's like, I, I don't know. Okay, comfortably numb, then the show must go on. Yeah, start of uh, side four. Yeah, the fucking, okay. I know that records are not recorded in their running order, at least usually. Um, But it really, really feels to me like the back quarter of this record was recorded, you know, I... I know that the the last studio they recorded in was Cherokee in L.A. Um, and it feels to me like this backstretch must have been recorded there because, like, suddenly there's, like, this weird fucking yacht rockish but also kind of Beach Boys vibe to everything that wasn't there before. And, like... Yeah, I think you're referring to the 90 seconds of oohs and ahs on the show Must Go On. Yep. I'm like... But, but why? More Why do we need that? I so I, I my understanding is they legitimately were trying to they they wanted to bring the Beach Boys in, um, you know, to like do like a Beach Boys sound thing, and they couldn't get them, so they brought in the Captain and Tennille and just tried to evoke the Beach Boys. Uh, but but the question of why is a good one. It's just a, it's a strange pairing because then you go into in the flesh, which yeah. to me sounds like the it sounds like the Queen song from the Flash Gordon movie. Yeah, like you know that scene where they where they're trying to like evoke the old Flash Gordon with the which is like the rocket for like ten minutes in the movie. Yeah. Like I feel like this this song would be a good song to have playing. <laughs> you know, while you're while you're slowly watching that rocket move very slowly. <laughs> for... uh, in the flesh, I to start out positive. It has you know it has the big opening. It like pays off the opening of the album. Again, the fucking production and arrangement is impeccable. But like, I can't. Have you seen the movie? Have you seen the Okay. Um, So I might be, like, bringing movie context to this. Uh, But I think it's it's in the song, too. Um, That, you know, the whole conceit of this song is that rock stardom turns you into a fascist. And, like, in the movie, he's 
basically in a fucking Hitler uniform. I think maybe he's um, conflating fascist with asshole. Yeah. Um, I just, I can't believe the fucking total contempt for their audience that this song, you know, like, like this whole idea that like rock and roll makes you a fascist. Well then, going to a rock concert makes you like a fascist foot soldier and like that's what you fucking think of your audience? Like, like I just the the contempt that that shows, and like, I I, I don't know. I'm just I'm in awe, and like, even if it's meant, there's a reading of that, I guess. That I noticed you don't have that same problem with the S one Ws. The security of the first world. <laughs> I I don't know. There's this thing where, like, I, I guess, like, there's a way where you could give Waters credit for the self-awareness to be saying, like, oh, my God, I don't like the person that fame makes me into. Um, I'm going to try to express that in song. And, like, that's the most charitable reading I could find of this. But yeah, like, You could try that as Ziggy Stardust, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, like, that's the thing. Bowie did the exact same shit at about, you know... A, a couple of years earlier than this and then had the sense to like realize he was being an insane asshole and like spend the entire 80s like running from it and apologizing for it um, yeah, and that's the difference between David Bowie and Roger Waters um, you know Waters fucking doubles down on it because like not only does he record this song but then like it stages the movie where it's a full-on fucking Nazi rally. And, I mean, the thing is, like, even if you give him credit for being incredibly self-aware and, and doing all this to say, I don't like this, I don't like what this does to me, I think, like, if there's a thing in your life that you become aware makes you a fascist, then you fucking stop doing it. Like, you are irresponsible if you keep at it. Or... <laughs> You monetize it. Yes. Oh, I just my notes. Uh, my notes say at least we're wanking around with guitars on this one and not Uzanaz. <laughs> True. Uh, the one, the one bit of joy this song has brought me through the years. You know, the the, the whole fucking shitty. Are there any queers in the theater tonight? Like, I just picked up. You know, years ago with 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 our pets, uh, it, it got to be fun to look at Jones the cat and be like, "Are there any cats in the theater tonight?" I think that's probably the best the best that can come of it. Yeah, I um, yeah, just I, I I can't I can't believe this, and you know, and I know that I know I sound like just this blue nosed scold, but honestly, like if if. If any fucking band started accusing me of being a fascist foot soldier for liking them, I would be like, yeah, fuck you guys. <sighs> Run Like Hell, though, is a pretty good jam. Yeah, it's a good song. I like it. it. Uh, that's another one where, like, on Delicate Sound of Thunder, the version there whoops ass. With your nerves and shatters as the conch shell shatters. <laughs> it did... <sighs> This is another one where, like, even when I was all in on, wow, this is a brilliant narrative, it always bothered me that, like, 
the whole narrative positions Pink as you know someone who's like irretrievably fucked up by this point. But then this song has these lines where like that imply that he's just going to be in the back seat of a car with his girlfriend, trying to pick her locks. Um, like, that doesn't sound like a thing that the guy from the past several songs would even be capable of doing. <laughs> What's going on here, guys? Um, but you know, like uh, it's it's a good jam. It's it's a classic rock staple for a reason, I guess. So, um, not to be a downer, but you know, like I feel like the rest of the songs. <laughs> The album are kind of shit. Yes, but in an amazing way. Like, this run of waiting for the worms, stop the trial, and outside the wall. Like, Is it just me, or does the trial seem like some kind of perverse fusion of the Nutcracker and the Jim Carrey Grinch movie? <laughs> I was... I, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, I had it as just weird fucking shitty musical theater that's it's just it's got that like tuba intro yes whatever that yes Mm. like Peter and the Wolf maybe is a better than the Nightmare but like but then that like weird Jim Carrey have you seen the Jim Carrey version of the Grinch I was stuck on a fucking plane that was being de-iced for hours yes it's like you know, like the like the dialogue and the cart the old cartoon is kind of adorable. Yeah. Like none of that occurs in the Jim Carrey. Like it's just <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. It, it is like you put a just a crazy person in a Grinch suit and let him loose. Oh, fuck. And you know, like, like Waters' crazy voices, like over the top. All the lines are just so. Fu- there's, yeah, they just like take a shit on the idea of subtlety here. And honestly, like the, the only funny thing in it is the joke about the judge taking a shit. Like that that joke lands, but otherwise, like just the whole like he was caught having feelings of an almost human nature. This will not do. Like fuck you. Just it's so strange. It's just so again uh, though. Like I feel like I. You know, I I don't understand the narrative, so maybe this is a, this is not right. But I would have just eighty six. I would have just ended at Rumblecell. Yes, you would lose nothing. I, Waiting for the Worms is not a good song, but like it at least has some like teeth to it, and you know it. Yeah, though, like the sitting in a bunker behind my wall, like. That's kind of an interesting... Yeah. Then it descends into a Frank Zappa song, though, right? Where yeah. it's just like... Yes, yeah. The weird voices. Yeah. Like, I... The... The weird, shitty musical theater vibe of... Um, so I, I have this note that, like, the album progresses from, like, kind of high prog rock to weird Beach Boys vibe to, like, you know, by the trial, just weird, shitty musical theater... And, like, I hate to bring The Doors up again, but on The Doors' first album, they do uh, Whiskey Bar. You know, it's... uh, Yeah, and, like, it's, you know, it's a Bertolt Brecht, Kurt Weill song, and, you know, so it's them doing musical theater. And, like, I've never liked it, but I like it better than this. And, like... 
if you're making the doors look good, you know, you're you are doing something wrong. I mean, does anyone ever bring up that like the song is called Whiskey Bar and then the, the lead singer died of alcoholism? Like, isn't that <laughs> Yeah. It seems problematic. Yeah. Take it up with Bertolt Brecht. I will. <laughs> Fuck you, Jerry. <laughs> um Okay, back to the trial again. I one thing I do like, I don't think this was intentional. You know, props to them if it is. Um, but they're like they're the terrible fucking choruses where it's like crazy over the rainbow is crazy and like it's shitty. But given the whole dark side of the moon, um, Wizard of Oz thing, like I just it, it's cool that there's a little over the rainbow thing there I, I think that's just a coincidence do you, do you remember when we tried that dark side of the moon yeah. I think it was that here right yeah yeah was that New Year's yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and we found out that it does work but it also works if you do Yoshimi battles the <laughs> pink robots yeah I think you know like you basically just have to want it to work and then right. it works and, yeah. you know like, like it's I, I, really, it's just an excuse to listen to a very good album and yeah. watch some cool visuals. And, and I mean, honestly, the that Wizard of Oz movie is better without the sound on, anyway. So, uh, agreed. Oh, um, also worth noticing in the trial when the verdict comes, it's the women that are the problem. Of course, you know, like who who causes. Who caused his problems? It was his mother and the women in his life. <sighs> um, outside the wall. Yeah, so this is where the kid, like, I'm just done with the kids at this point. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I Again, there, there should have been some editing yes. involved here. Yes. It didn't need to be four, four sides. No, it did not. We could have carved this up, and it would have been a really good album. Yeah, you know, like if it was, if this song, if this record was everything up through, what did I say? Everything up through Goodbye Blue Sky, and then like throw on Comfortably Numb, <laughs> Run Like Hell, um, and Hey You. Like, great. There's a Great little single disc prog rock record. I think it'd be yeah. I, I mean, and I don't. I I do think there like there are some really good songs on this record. It's just it, at some point though the this is a good one where you to have a skip button is a is yes a thing. It 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 is. I guess if I look back, it's fascinating to me that. My experience of loving this record the most was on tape, you know, when like I had no choice and like I I don't know like it, it, I had it on CD, but like by the time I got it on CD, I was already drifting away. And I feel like though a lot of people, it was one of those CDs that like a lot of people had. Yeah. Like, I feel like that was one of the ones that you got was The Wall. Yeah, it was just in the, the starter pack. I never had it, but... Uh, uh, you missed out. I was um, never that cool. 
I don't know that cool is the word here. Um, I, I don't know. Do you, if you had to pick a favorite song from the record? It's tough because there are a lot of them that I really like. I think I would probably go comfortably numb. I think I agree. In the flesh, question mark is also like pretty good. Um, what would you do if I said Vera? Man, I. I'm like this is genius. I, I would flash. A, I'd get a pen light and look at your eyes to make sure your pupils were okay. I yeah, you know, like I guess that's the thing. Like I've, I have spent the past hour just railing against this. There is stuff on this record that I like, and like, I like this band, kind of. Uh, <laughs> before this record, oh, here's the thing I was going to ask you: Have you ever listened to the final cut? No. The, the Pink Floyd record after this. It's, it's astonishing. It's like. Where does Animals fall in the Pink Floyd catalog? It's a lot earlier. I don't remember. Because I really like that one, too. Yeah. Maybe I'm just an early Pink Floyd guy. I think so. I, I think, like, up uh, everything before The Wall, I think, like, there's there's always something cool. But The Wall's problematic, and the, the final cut is just terrible. <laughs> it's just... It's, it's Roger Waters doing this shit again, but, like, at a lower quality. Like... You know, with this, like, even on the bad songs, you know, outside of Vera, there's there's at least interesting instrumentation going on. Like, the final cut, it's just nobody gives a fuck. Everybody's phoning it in. It just... Yeah, it just sucks. It's sad to see it go down like that. Yeah. And, you know, I, well, I was thinking, like... Yeah, I think... I, the, the, I would actually, I'm going to go back and listen to Delicate Sound of Thunder because like, I've always thought like, well, that it's kind of shitty. It's like this rump Pink Floyd. Is that like the sequel to Days of Thunder? <laughs> it is, you know, like uh, roughly contemporaneous. We just, we had a lot of thunder going on in the late eighties. Um, I've kind of condescended to Delicate Sound of Thunder like, you know, for the past 20 years, but, like, now I can kind of see, like, well, the, the appeal is you get to see, like, all of the musicians, you know, all of these great musicians, and you don't have to put up with Roger Waters. Like, maybe that's worth it. Sometimes, though. I mean, would you would you listen to a record that was The Police without Sting? Maybe? I don't think you would. <laughs> I don't know. I... Nah... The police are different, though, because, like, since they're a trio, like, you know, like, the whole point of Pink Floyd is that, sure, there are two main guys, but, like, it's a big fucking ensemble effort overall. And, you know, like, if you, if you, take, if you take Waters out, it's like you're still watching the mid-'90s Bulls with Pippin. And, you know, like, like, there's still something there. The police, like, I guess Sting just... Yeah. yeah, there there are fewer, you know, like like one person just represents a bigger percentage of of what you've got to. Work I suppose with. that's true. I don't know. Okay. Uh, oh, verdict on the record. What is your verdict on this record? Uh, it's hard because uh, 
I think high highs, low lows. I hate it. <laughs> I, I I I didn't hate it before. Like I, this is the first the first time in this show that like I have come to hate a record through this show. That's where it's I'm interesting. At. It's the one that you you selected. Well, because I thought it would be interesting, and I do think it was interesting. It was it was a useful experience. Um, but yeah, man, does this not jive with where I'm at now? There's, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah. I uh, you know, and again, like, love Dark Side of the Moon. Love, yeah, I love Wish You Were Here. It's a, it's a great record. You're right, Animals is really good, but. Pink Floyd has a lot of really good records. Yeah. I just think it's weird because this is the probably to the casual fan is probably their most well known record. Yeah, yeah maybe Dark Side of the Moon, but it's up there, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it's and you know, there's just so many better, better records. Yeah. Oh God. I don't know. Um, if that's it for the wall. Yeah. What do we got next time? Well, we're going to continue to challenge ourselves. Oh, we're going to no. do uh, we're going to do the Lee Scratch Perry album Super Ape. Oh shit! Yes. So. Okay. Uh, I have no idea where I'm. Like, this is a mountain I've been meaning to climb for over 10, 15 years. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see how this wow. goes. Wow. Okay. I I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Should I if if my neighbor is back from Jamaica. Yeah, I think we should get his, we should get his thoughts for sure. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty wild. Um is man. he stranded in Jamaica? I he was. I don't know what he, he hasn't been back for a, a long time. So he was stranded because of COVID. He did come back um and was here, but then he had to go back to Jamaica cuz there was problems with his farm in Jamaica and we haven't seen him since then. Percent so. chance that's a weed farm? One hundred? One hundred. It's yeah, this is yeah. Beyond question. Um We should also try to get that guy you went to graduate school with that did the reggae album covers. God, we should not. I don't know if that does does dub count as we'll have to we'll have to research this. It'll be a learning experience. Oh okay. Um Thanks again for listening. Uh, I am Keith. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. You can find me on Twitter at Cook6252. As always, we would love to hear from you if there's anything you like or you don't like. Um, you think we're a couple of dumbasses. I, for real, if you are a, you know, I, I know we have friends who are Floyd fans who like the wall. And, like, I'd love to have the conversation. Um, yeah, please uh, provide a point-by-point refutation <laughs> of all of Keith's points if possible. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, I, I expect footnotes. Um, if you dug the show, please tell people about it. Uh, go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever. Leave a review. Uh, you, you don't need to mention all the dog noise up front. Um, anyway, thanks. We'll uh, talk to you again soon as we get into Lee Scratch Perry. Lee Scratch Perry. Stoked. <laughs>